Living Hero, Conversations with Living Luminaries and Mavericks. Welcome to Living Hero. Our show today brings you a very recent conversation I had with Tantra masters Mark A. Michaels and Patricia Johnson. They're a devoted married couple who have been teaching tantric sexual practices together since 1999. Their blend of traditional and contemporary approaches brings heightened awareness and an expanded capacity for pleasure into every aspect of their students' daily lives. Michaels and Johnson are multi-award winning authors of The Essence of Tantric Sexuality, Tantra for Erotic Empowerment, The Key to Enriching Your Sexual Life, and most recently, Great Sex Made Simple, Tantric Tips to Deepen Intimacy and Heighten Pleasure, which just won the 2013 Gold Medal in Independent Publisher Book Awards in the Sexuality Relationships category. They've also produced instructional DVDs and a meditation CD set. All of these and much more can be found on their website, tantrapm.com. Michaels is a lawyer, playwright, and translator. He translated and adapted Goldini's The Mistress of the Inn for the Roundabout Theater Company and co-wrote The Thrill of Victory, The Agony of Debate, which premiered at New York's primary stages. Johnson is a retired professional operatic soprano who toured as a performer throughout the United States, Europe, and South America. In fact, you're listening to her now, and then we'll have the interview. I noticed that through various means, you really are teachers. You give private sessions, workshops, you have your books out there, and you create groups. So this is quite a dedication to teaching others what you have learned through your master and through your practice about deepening intimacy and heightening pleasure and all the benefits of that. But it's quite common knowledge that For most people raised in Western society, true intimacy and acceptance of self and acceptance of pleasure is quite challenging. And so I guess my first question, what I'd like you both to get into speaking about is, um, isn't it quite a radical transformation that you're really involved in guiding people through and and practicing yourselves? Well, you know, it's it can be quite radical um and and if you're really going to go deep into into this uh path it is very radical um <laughs> at the same time um sometimes very simple and mundane shifts very very or subtle shifts can create big changes too so it's not super big and radical in that way and and we really like to try to meet people where they are and and it's our feeling that if we can give anybody who comes to us one tool that can improve their lives in some way, then we've really accomplished something. So, you know, there, there's, there's the big picture, which is that it's quite radical, and there's often that much smaller picture of 
here's one technique that can really make make your life better. Mm-hmm. Small steps on a long journey. Um, so let's assume that some people tuning into this uh, don't really know anything about Tantra. So could you give us a little education? What does the word mean and where does it come from? And what is it? its ultimate meaning and reason for being the people who developed Tantra in the first place? What's it all about? To start with a definition of Tantra, and it's a Sanskrit word, and there are multiple definitions. Uh, the one that we use mostly comes from our teacher, Dr. John, J-O-N-N, Mumford, M-U-M-F-O-R-D. And the book is called Kiss of the Yogini, and it takes the word and divides it into its roots. And the first part, the tan part, comes from the Sanskrit word tanoi, and that implies expansion. The second part, the tra, which is the English root of the word trowel, uh, comes from the word triati, and that can be translated as tool. So if you put them together, you have tool for expansion, and your tool is embodiment, all aspects of embodiment and of living life and being present in what you're expanding is your consciousness. And so what Tantra, the tantric approach really is about taking all experience, anything that's happening in your life, and treating it as an opportunity to discover something, to have even potentially a mystical experience, even in, in the most mundane of things. Um, to go into the history of the tradition a little bit, it emerged in India, and the best history, I think, written on the subject is a book called Kiss of the Yogini by David Gordon White, and he puts the origins as at about 400 Common Era. So in White's uh, analysis and history, basically the origins of Tantra were very similar to more shamanic traditions, and the original concept was that female practitioners would be possessed by deities, ferocious deities, and they would then convey the power, transmit the power of those deities to the male practitioners through sexual ritual. So that's really kind of the origins of the sexual component in Tantra. Um, It, over time, gradually got integrated into more conventional Hindu and Buddhist thought, which were the, you know, the two predominant religions in, in South Asia at the time. And so it, it became a lot more spiritualized, much less of an emphasis on the spirit possession. And where the sex came in then, and, and what we continue to work with when we're dealing with sexual aspects, is that the practitioners recognized that sexual arousal and orgasm were the places where ordinary people could most easily experience something mystical. Mm-hmm. And when you say mystical, uh, in the traditional uh, practices, is it really leading towards enlightenment? Is that what the goal is? Mm-hmm. Depends on your definition <laughs> of enlightenment. <laughs> well, what would, be, what would be the definition that comes along with the practice? Well, I think that one of the big distinctions in, in between Tantra and a lot of other Uh, traditions. In Tantra, the idea, to put it in Buddhist terms, is that nirvana exists within samsara. So enlightenment is here and now. It's not something that you 
chase or that you're liberating yourself necessarily from the cycle of, of death and rebirth. It's about discovering the enlightenment in the, in the present, in the here and now. And by, you know, focusing on the present, you're working with your awareness and a common definition of enlightenment in some circles is that uh, enlightenment is complete awareness, achieving complete and total awareness. And we we don't think that's a great idea. Um, <laughs> we have a, yeah, we sometimes say that that's insanity, not enlightenment. <laughs> so that rather than uh, achieving complete awareness, we the practices teach um, people to become facile with their awareness, and that is where you start to get some real knowledge and power is being able to work with your senses. At will. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Excellent. So let's talk about values because, um, you know, the culture that we are all uh, embedded in, this American culture, has a certain set of values and a tantric-centered existence revolves around a set of values. Could you speak uh, in those rather abstract terms about what a tantric-centered life values most? Well, we really like to make the distinction between morality and ethics. and When talking uh, about values? Yes, when talking yeah. about values. And, and the, the words, are, their origins are entwined. Morals is a Latin translation of the Greek word ethos, but the implication in, in the Latin morals is, has to do with custom, whereas the, the roots of the word ethos actually go back to the word uh, the Sanskrit word swa, which implies one's own or oneself. And so the idea in Tantra is that a lot of the practices are really geared toward developing an ethos as opposed to a morality, an understanding from the self of what's right and wrong as opposed to an understanding that's generated from, uh, from outside. And I think that in the society we're living in today, we don't have the kind of moral strictures in the in the old-fashioned sense or in the sense that existed in in medieval india but we're so bombarded with messages about what we should and should not do and what we should and should not like and what we should and should not buy buy that there's a really big value in digging deep into what's what your own truth is and and trying to separate yourself from that bombardment of stuff that you're supposed to to like Mm-hmm. And consume. So, can we say that uh, some of what's valued, in, at least in your teachings, is really getting in touch with one's own truth um, and finding out for oneself what's truly valuable? And then I would say striving to live in accordance with those values. Yeah, yeah. Be Well, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about feminine and masculine energies in reviewing 
what I have, uh, your, your book, The Essence of Tantric Sexuality, I came across something that was interesting. You were talking about foreplay. And you said, in a general sense, this is a more feminine approach to stimulation, moving from the periphery of the body to the center. And I thought that could be a jumping-off point for both of you to say something about uh, feminine and masculine energies and what's generally considered feminine ways of approaching things, ways of being and how that relates to uh, tantric sexuality and tantra in general. Yeah, this is a great. This is big can of worms. Mark is smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go for it. Yeah. Well, what are the key words, and I'll let Patricia pick up, but uh, <laughs> the generally is really important in that, in that sentence, um, in a general sense, the feminine approach, because we're very mindful of not getting into gender essentialism, or, and also about making clear that the tantric ideas of masculine and feminine are energetic principles. They don't really pertain to anatomy. Or social constructs around gender. So it's much more sophisticated. Um, the two main deities that are respected and recognized are uh, Shiva, which represents the masculine energies, and Shakti represents the feminine energies. Um, Shiva is seen as inner consciousness, and Shakti is seen as the energetic principle. And so if you, and what we need to do as humans in this life is strive to find balance between those two aspects that exist within each and every one of us. So if you have too much inert consciousness, not enough energy, you're not going to get around to doing anything. <laughs> but if you have too much energy and no consciousness behind it, you are frenetic or don't accomplish something or, at worst, can be destructive. So this is a, it's a far more sophisticated way of thinking about it than this is how girls and this is how boys <laughs> Act. <laughs> Having said that, I mean, there, you know, in some of the sexual literature and the passage that you quoted is specifically dealing with the sexual ritual in Tantra and how that's enacted. The idea here is that typically and especially in sort of conventional American sexuality, men are thought of as being very genitally focused and women, generally speaking, are thought of as being more full body oriented. And female arousal, as, as I said in the passage, in more often than not proceeds a little bit differently and it's not just go straight for the genitals and the tantric texts are often written for men because the idea is that that men sort of innately don't know what women do know innately and and, and that they need to learn how to have this more more full body more engaged experience of sexuality because the truth is, is we're all sort of along a continuum and we move back and forth between these two polarities and just recognizing that you um, and embracing the, the feminine aspects of your own self is really great um, rather than looking externally for that source. But, you know, I think that in, in the broadest kind of cultural sense, there is an element of, of this that's true, that, you know, men because of the way that they're built as boys, they recognize when they're sexually aroused, it's, it's visible, and they have an experience of orgasm that is very connected with just a genital uh, phenomenon. 
whereas if a woman has escaped a lot of the sex negative education that women in particular are given and then again these are broad generalities there's usually a little bit more of a full body kind of awareness also i mean uh, speaking about the sex negativity um in the culture they've done studies and women will be physically aroused and not recognize it intellectually so they will not consciously know they are so there's, there's they can you know these messages can lead to a disconnect from being present in your own body another element that i think is really important in this uh, i can't cite the study off the top of my head but we do reference it in our next book a study of interaction between infants and mothers and the types of touch that were given by mothers to their male and female offspring were were quite different um and again, this is, you know, it's a broad-based thing, so it's going to vary a lot from individual to individual. But the type of touch that mothers tended to give their male children was stimulating and active, whereas they gave a lot more comforting and uh, nurturing touch yeah. to their female offspring. This was an American study. So the roots of this are very, very deep in infancy, really, and the way that our culture has decided that men and women should, or, or mothers and children should interact. That's really fascinating. What's your next book going to be? Oh, we're very excited about it. Um, our, our next book is, Mark, we can say the title now, yeah. right? Hey, it's going to be called Partners in Passion. And it's with Cleus Press. It'll be out early next year. It's not a Tantra book per se. It's really a, our big philosophical piece on relationships and sexuality and and, and how to long term <laughs> how to how to keep engagement. Uh, yeah, long term and how to how to, you know, really get true connection, true emotional connection and, and maintain that erotic vibrancy. I think some of the methods that are out there that are being touted actually lead to distancing in couples and we have I think a very unique take on how to do that. Oh, I'm delighted to hear about that and look forward to reading it. So I want to um, ask you about the healing dimension of practicing Tantra and the other aspects of your teaching in, in terms of relationships. We, we describe the, um, a lot of the Tantric practices as being healing and integrating. But I think where people get mixed up a little bit is they be make the healing a goal, and once you have a goal or you become goal-oriented, you will miss the whole point of the practices. So it's very different from uh, psychotherapy, which is sort of the Western. There's definitely yeah. points of overlap with, with psychotherapy, but we like to say that the practices are therapeutic but not therapy. <laughs> I just want to say I think that, you know, especially in the New England type of history. There's a lot of stoicism and a lot of, um, you know, pleasure negativity because there's suspicion that that, that will lead people into a lot of self-indulgent behavior and unethical behaviors. So I wonder if you can talk about how, again, the values, how the value system that this is coming from can be viewed in a positive sense holistically. Well, I, I think that's a, that's a big and, and difficult question, and there certainly are pitfalls uh, to this kind of approach um, because you, you are consciously You're, exploring and, and... And embracing every, everything. 
Um, but in my experience, pleasure is the biggest force for healing that there is. And true, true, the true experience of pleasure for me um, was, it, it just opened incredible doors for me. Um, I dealt with, in, in earlier years in my life, I dealt with a lot of depression and, and a lot of other issues. And I sort of felt that I was living at zero to 50. And, you know, there, so there's a whole 50 to 100 was, was missing for me. And it wasn't until I was able to connect with pleasure and really embrace and experience it and own it that I was able to break out of that very stuck kind of place. Embracing pleasure in your own life is the ultimate act of self-reverence. And it's very, very different from self-indulgence, which I, I think is what we're subjected to a lot or encouraged to um, behave self-indulgently through the commercialism of our culture. Um, and people really fall into self-indulgent behavior probably as a result of feeling the disconnect, not a sense of connection. So the deeper sense of reverence you have for yourself, it ultimately translates into a sense of connection and realization that you ultimately knit into this entire fabric of the, the existence of this planet, and it really changes how you behave. Or they pendulum between self-indulgence and self-hatred. Right, you know, which and is feeling, even worse. feeling bad about the self-indulgence. In our second book, uh, which is called Tantra for Erotic Empowerment, we talk about the difference between unconscious hedonism and conscious and intentional hedonism. And we, we don't have a moral judgment on the unconscious hedonism, but we're actually talking about exploring pleasure and being aware at the same time and really being conscious of the entire experience. So pleasure is a tool for expanding your consciousness, not a tool for checking out from your consciousness. So mm. those are the I think this part of the discussion is so interesting and so important. You said something a little while back that I want to go back to in a way. You said something about embracing the whole of oneself um, and exploring. And I wonder if you can say something about people's feeling uh, bad about some of their sexual fantasies, uh, some, some things that they consider perverted, uh, the dark side that many people hold and are, are very um, embarrassed about in terms of their sexuality. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think the... Um we were having a conversation about the concept of the dark side and realized that it really doesn't exist in Tantra. Um, the concept is that all existence and all experience just is, and you work with whatever life presents you. Um, the fragmentation that people can experience of their inner self by feeling uh, shame or embarrassment or something about their sexual self is a horrible split can ca cause a terrible rift. And I think that the shame is really kind of the, the key aspect in all of this, in that if you feel ashamed of, of some aspect of your sexuality, it, it's likely to be driven even deeper underground, and the, and the behaviors that are associated with it are, are much more likely to be acted out in, in very negative ways. I mean, I think that 
You know, a lot of the Catholic Church scandals that we've been hearing about are because the people who are involved have chosen to be in an environment where they must be celibate as a way of suppressing these desires about which they feel a lot of shame. And that creates an unhealthy spiral that just goes out of control. And this is interesting because the shame goes back to morals and ethics. Shame generally is uh, an overall condemnation of who you are as a, a person. Your, your whole being is condemned, and it's usually uh, shame-based because of judgment from others. As opposed to an ethic violation, that is where you realize an action was not according to what your values were, and you can address the action. It's not your who you are as a being. So you feel guilty about doing something specific that goes against your ethics, but you don't feel ashamed of it, of yourself. And so, I think that's, you know, ashamed of yourself because this is like a whole judgment on, on a person. And to address, I mean, Tantra is very non-judgmental uh, and very um, empirical. So you, the practices are empirical and you work with what works for yourself. So um, pretty much any sexual expression, uh, any sexual activity, any sexual implements, any sort of thing available um, is, you know, used as a tool to expand your consciousness is great. And it, provided you're not harming anybody, that's, you know. And mm -hmm. that it's consensual. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I think that what we're talking about here is obviously for people who are reasonably healthy. If we're dealing with uh, a compulsive behaviors that are self-destructive or harmful to others in any way, mm -hmm. it's a different category. And, and people who are dealing with those issues probably shouldn't be practicing Tantra and probably should be in therapy. Mm -hmm. What are your views on pornography? Another tool for uh, many people use that as a tool for uh, meditative states and for expanding, experiencing sexual arousal, expanding their consciousness. Um, we don't we don't have judgments about it as long as it's uh, as long as the people who are performing are uh, you know are being treated well. I think yeah, our own our main main objection is that the bad porn out there. <laughs> the world can use a lot more good porn. More erotic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So in terms of the repression that exists um, widely in uh, Western society, I mean, it's, this is not Polynesia and this is not ancient India. How do you work with people in terms of the expansion that takes place and their releasing repressed ideas about themselves, about their bodies, about sex. I mean, m many people don't like something about their bodies. They don't like their freckles, or they don't like their large breasts. They don't like their ample fat or something. So yeah. let's say I came to you and I said, I really have some issues with the way I think about my body, the way I think about sex, and I don't like this or that about my body. What specifically do you do? What are your approaches in terms of working with people who want to mm, experience more pleasure and get over themselves in a way, get over their hang-ups about their bodies or about sex? In our private teaching, we, we only work with couples, and that was a decision that we made many years ago. Now, we, online, we do work with singles. We do a whole online course 
and we, we consider doing further advanced work with people if they've completed the online program. But, but our initial approach is couples only in, in our private work. Now we do uh, in workshops and stuff. You know, it's, it's a full spectrum of people. Practically speaking, the first step that we would encourage for people to develop greater self-acceptance and reverence and, and thereby move into a place of, of more appreciation of the body and pleasure is through eye-gazing with themselves in the mirror and just developing through that a feeling of reverence and concluding that eye gaze with a bow to oneself or a gesture of appreciation. Because we look at ourselves in the mirror usually quite critically or to make sure that everything's in place, not as an act of revering oneself. If there are really serious issues, again, I mean, we're not therapists. Yeah, and we have had times in the past where we've recommended someone do some therapy first before they try some of the tantric practices. It's just better to be settled on that score. (laughs) Do you want to say anything about kundalini energy, life energy, sexual energy? What energies we're actually working with when using uh, sexuality and pleasure as a practice? Um, Well, kundalini is the life force energy. There's a lot of hype surrounding it. In some circles, it's said that a a kundalini awakening can be dangerous. And there are some people who seem to have these experiences that are problematic when they have a sudden burst of energy in in their bodies. In our tradition, though, the idea is that kundalini is the life force. The energy is active within us all the time. When we're sexually aroused, it's even more active. And if we bring our attention to it and work with it in a partnered setting or, or in, well, in any setting, but particularly in a partnered setting, with consciously exchanging that energy. You find that you can cultivate it and expand it by working together and really tap into it even more. So um, as Mark said, it, it exists in everybody by being alive. It's just that most people lack awareness of it, and by not being aware, they don't have the way, any way of cultivating it. The other component is that in the tantric sexual ritual, the idea was that each partner was there to serve the other, to bring the other higher and higher, um, and not really for their own individual pleasure. And this was done with an attitude of worship for, for the partner. We feel that that's something to bring into every interaction that you have with a partner as best you can. And in the context of making love, if, you, if each one of you is there to facilitate the other, to, to enable the other one to go higher and higher, you'll get that same experience in return. And if you agree on it in advance, it puts things on a very different level than, uh, you know, we're doing this in hopes that, I'm hoping that you're going to get me off, and you're hoping that I'm going to get you off, and maybe it'll all work out. So it removes that, <laughs> that element of commerce, right, exchange and commerce in, in your sexual explorations, and you become co-collaborators and co-creators of a sexual experience, and it becomes a big adventure in which you continually discover something new around the next corner. So it keeps that sense of curiosity alive um, and, you know, exploratory mindset. And if you don't have, have a goal and you're just out to explore and discover, then there's no success, failure, there's no letdown at the end. And uh, 
it, it's just a joint adventure. You know, it sounds a lot like the gift economy in terms of what you were saying, Patricia. It just seems like it is a cultural shift in one's personal culture that I would imagine if you're experiencing this in an intimate exchange with a partner, that that also would spill over into your loving relationships with other people and with animals and other creatures and the earth itself. Is that your experience? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. The experience of ecstasy, my understanding of ecstasy is that that word, the root of the word and what its meaning points to is getting beyond oneself, going outside of the ego boundaries, expanding outside the ego boundaries. Could you talk about that and its potential for an experience of union? You know, for all of the hype around quote-unquote tantric sex, that's really what it's about. And the understanding of the ancient tantrics was that the moment of orgasm was the place where most ordinary people can be taken outside of themselves. They can experience that sense of union and, and sense of yoga, and, and that definition of yoga is the cessation of the fluctuation of the mind stuff. My understanding of the meaning of the word yoga is union with the divine principle. I saw that turn up in your bio that you're teachers of Kriya Yoga. Could you just say something about what Kriya Yoga is? There are several different schools and branches of Kriya Yoga. Kriya means action. And so Kriya Yoga and the the Kriya Yoga that we've been taught involves combining subtle movements, uh, visualizations, breath, breath, and mantra to move energy in the body, again, to create altered states of consciousness. Actually, and and the practices that we use, we keep the eyes partially open, and that accelerates the alteration of consciousness. It's unusual meditative form in that sense. So the mind goes quiet and you feel maybe connection with your partner, maybe just a a more cosmic sort of connection. That's what ecstasy is about. You can't live in that state all the time. But what you can do is recognize when you're in those states, you take that awareness of something bigger than, than yourself, of having gone beyond the limits of your ego, and you can then live a life that's informed by a knowledge that you're more than that and everything is more than that and that you're connected. Um, we're fans of the ego, <laughs> by the way. We, we like to think of an efficient ego and deficient ego. An efficient ego is the one that makes sure you, you exercise, pays your bills on time, you know, sort of your internal watchdog that cares for you in a, in a good way. When that gets a little bit out of control, that's the deficient. But the the ecstatic experience will, I think, in most cases anyway, bring you into a connection with the efficient ego. It's what you bring back from the ecstasy that informs the way that you are with your partner, with yourself, with everything around you. That's beautiful. I want you to have a chance to really encapsulate what it is you want to say to people, especially at this point in time where I think there's a lot of fear about what's going on in the world and walls closing in on us. And uh, I think you can bring a lot of wisdom and perhaps hope to people through what you say. 
really, it's pretty simple. (laughs) First is be kind to each other. And next is pay attention. Then we have treat the planet with care and reverence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those are our messages. It is simple. And I think that these loving, uh, self-accepting practices that you teach can make it easier and easier for people to adopt those simple attitudes and behaviors in their daily lives. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Yes, thanks for having us on. My pleasure.